0: Welcome to Suede. This is Sarah Osteen, and today I have a very special guest. I'm uh, going back to the, the family pool here. I have my cousin, Scott McHugh, who's joining me, who is the dean of, I'm going to say this name of your school wrong, Sposado? Perfect. <laughs> Graduate School of Education, uh, and is really... Uh, one of the most knowledgeable people around charter school education and really how to prepare teachers to be the best that they can be. So we'll kind of dig into that and look at how you can influence teachers to grow and develop and what are some of the tools and techniques to do that. Um, at least that's what I'm hoping we're going to talk about today. <laughs>
1: Thanks, sir. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and so let's just do some background or overview here. I'd love to learn a little bit about how you ended up as the dean of Spasado and what what led you to that spot.
1: Yeah. So I, I got into this work really from a teaching background. I decided when I was partway through college that I didn't want to go to medical school, which is what I thought I'd want to do since I was in the sixth grade. But really wanted to work more directly with young people and especially young people working in um, in low-income neighborhoods. And so when I left college, I became a middle school and high school history teacher. I spent five years working in the New York City public schools and then in charter schools up in Boston. And while I was engaged in that work, I got really interested in the idea that the the quality of the organization, the quality of the school could have a really dramatic impact on children's outcomes. I'd spent some time working in some really dysfunctional schools. I'd spent some time working in really high-functioning schools and came to believe that kids are kind of the same everywhere, but um, the degree to which the staff operate in a way which is mission-aligned, which is cohesive, the organization's ability to make human resource decisions, curricular decisions, operational decisions based upon what's best for kids makes all the difference in terms of how much kids grow and how much they learn. And so coming out of that experience, I got interested in starting a charter school in Boston based upon what seemed to be best practice in high-performing charter schools, as well as district schools all over the country. So in 2002, I started working to start the Boston Prep Charter School. It's a sixth through 12th grade school here in Boston that I ended up starting and then running until 2012. And in my work at Boston Prep, I, I got really interested in the question of talent, that the, the people say the most valuable resource in any organization is its people. I would say that's certainly true in in schooling and, and at Boston Prep. And I think my, my biggest uh, source of stress as a school leader was finding great people who could do the job the way we needed it to be done. And so when I decided it was time for me to move on from Boston prep, wanted to go somewhere where I could work on the ch- challenges of building a better prepared force of young teachers. In in my experience as a sixth to 12th grade educator, working in public schools, starting a school, I spent a lot of time working to combat certain d- dysfunctions in how Kids get taught, especially in urban public schools in different parts of the country. And as I move from sort of educator of children to educator of adults, I think part of what we're trying to do at Spazzato is serve as a proof point and to combat much of the dysfunction that exists in how adults learn. And so that's that's been the thing I've I've focused on since 2012. Continues to feel really important and and interesting. And I think at Spazzato we've we've had some success in uh, finding way, but ways to better prepare unusually effective first year teachers.
0: Yeah. And certainly the, the, the data shows that, um, just kind of going back to your time at Boston prep, what was your criteria for kind of doing it the right way? Like how did you, uh, I guess, what specifically were you looking for in teachers?
1: For teachers? Yeah. yeah. I would say that there, I would say there were a, um, a few things. Um, I think the first criterion was mission alignment and sort of alignment with what we were trying to do philosophically and pedagogically. I think there's different approaches to schooling and reasonable people will still disagree about what are the best ways to um, help kids learn a lot and to grow a lot personally. But I believe in a school, there needs to be a certain kind of uh, consensus about where we're going and how we're getting there—that's necessary to make the school effective. All the adults need to be on the same page about certain really key things. And so that sort of philosophical mission alignment. The simplest example is at Boston Prep. Boston Prep's built around a mission that every child should be prepared to succeed in college. And there's some people who will say, "Really? Is that, should should that be the goal for the school? Is that really true of all kids? Maybe that's too ambitious." And There's a reasonable argument about that, but in our case at Boston Prep, there's power in having every one of the adults in the building coming to the table with that belief and working with that belief in mind. So philosophical alignment was the sort of number one thing. The work was incredibly demanding. I think we were in the business of doing things that a lot of people would say we're really ambitious, bordering on impossible. And uh-huh. as much as we work really hard to build efficiency, to build systems, there's just no substitute for um, for sweat and just working very hard in pursuit of the mission. And so we had to find people who had the drive and the kind of um, emotional resilience necessary to be successful in pursuit of that Boston Prep mission. But then the last thing, and this is where I think Spisato, and Spisato would, addresses both of those things in some way, but folks who had um, certain necessary capabilities to succeed at the job. Interestingly, that didn't mean necessarily that these were people who had spent 5, 10, 15 years in teaching, which I I think is the most common thing that people will describe as key to a teacher's success. We believe the experience does matter for sure. Um, But I I think even more important potentially is somebody's coachability, their ability to learn, their ability to function as part of a team, their ability and an interest in building relationships with students, um, which is not something that gets taught in traditional teacher preparation, but we believe is so important, their ability to project uh, authority in a classroom. Um, those kinds of things that in some ways are more qualitative, um, but I think are arguably just as important as somebody's content knowledge
0: Uh i would agree you know just sort of going back to my memory of boston prep when i visited it and boston prep continues to be an amazing place with great results and kids who are successful and happy i remember that there the classrooms were named after colleges like big name college <laughs> is, is uh, sort of to keep that goal in mind. Is that still, um, do they still have practice that?
1: It is, it is. Uh, you know, part of what we're trying to do at Boston Prep is help, studi- help students to see themselves as getting ready to go to college. In many cases, Boston Prep students would be the first in their families to go to college. And so part of the work of the school is h- helping students to internalize this notion that that is the norm. Kids with means, kids who are, go to upper middle class schools, often kids who go to independent schools, sort of the, the default notion is everybody's going to college. Even kids oh. who make bad choices, even kids who mess up along the way, there's no kind of questioning that, that fundamental notion. Whereas I think for a student who grows up in Boston who doesn't have a lot of money, it might not be programmed in quite the same way that that they need to go to college and that they've, they're going to have the backing that they need to be successful once they get there.
0: Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense. Just sort of going back to the, the teacher's support around this, did you ever come across teachers who disagreed with that methodology for some reason? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, tons of people we would come across in the interview, in the screening process, but I think we we, we uh, tried pretty hard to make sure that the, the team we ultimately hired came to work believing in certain core tenets, such as everybody in the schools being prepared to succeed in college. I think we got pretty good at, at screening for that kind of stuff along the way. I don't want to say there, are, there, are, there, aren't, there weren't fierce disagreements or debates among the staff, but I think that they're much more about not about like where we're going, but how do we get there? Yeah. And so I think when you have a staff which is mission aligned, it doesn't mean that there's not disagreement or shouldn't be disagreement, but it's um, it, it's the how, not the not the why or the where.
0: Yeah, no, I I think you did a really nice job of creating that environment and getting people who could support that mission. It was, Thank you. It was pretty great. Yeah, so how does the concept of influence show up for you in your role as dean? And this might be helpful just to give a little bit of an overview of what Spazzato does Great. for teachers. Great. So
1: Sposato, we Spazzato is in the business of training unusually effective novice teachers for urban public schools. <clears throat> a lot of graduate schools might train leaders. They might train in-service teachers. They might have multiple programs of studies we're really doing one thing. We're taking people who want to teach at schools like Boston Prep or like the match schools that we're based in, who are mission aligned and hungry to learn and helping them over a course of the year, be able to walk into a classroom and be effective. And we've been really deliberate about using that word effective. I spoke earlier about experience. There's no substitute for experience in somebody's teaching it takes years and years and years to become a master of the craft. But there is a difference between a teacher who is in their first year who can avoid rookie teacher mistakes, who can create engaging, warm, productive communities and can ensure that students learn, as opposed to teachers who can't, which I think in most cases is the default in urban public education. in other words, for the most part, um, rookie teachers are not good. They're, it, one would be hard pressed to describe them as effective. And those who have got enough kind of, I, I certainly wasn't in my first year as a rookie teacher. I think usually what happens with people is if they've got enough resilience, determination, they learn on the job, they get to a phase where in your two, three, four, they are making gains with students, but it takes time. And we're trying to say, we want that person to seem like a somewhat experienced teacher on their first day on the job. So that's what we're trying to do Um, we're training, um, anywhere between 20 and 40 new teachers a year. So as we've sent about 350 people out into the business over the last decade, um, they tend to persist at rates that out, that exceed that of non spazzato trained teachers. So they've done pretty well. We, we also want to serve as a proof point in teacher preparation. So while we're, on the one hand, we're filling a talent gap in urban public schools. We're trying to send a a few dozen really good teachers out every year. We're also trying to participate in the broader nationwide conversation about how do you prepare somebody to be effective at teaching? Yeah, which
0: I am really curious to to know more about. How do you measure, though, for a first-year teacher? And and how how does that happen? Like, are all – teachers measured on the same criteria or how do you how do
1: you know this? So measuring teaching is notoriously difficult. I don't, we would not say that we've got a perfect system, but I think we've got a system that feels reasonable, even if it doesn't feel perfect. And so, you know, I think that the simplest measure of course is just persistence. Does somebody stay in the job? Do they not just through year one, but through year two, three, four, five. And that that's important. I'd heard a statistic that the average career of an urban public school teacher in America is about a year and a half. So mostly what happens is people come aboard, they're not prepared, things go badly, and they 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 quit or they go to teach somewhere else. And so if we can train people who hit the ground running, who stick around, that in itself feels important. Beyond that, what we've done is we've created a system where we use a few different data streams to try and create an aggregate, a picture for whether or not somebody's being effective. And so we send outside experts in to watch them teach and to score their teaching. We interview their supervising principals and get qualitative data as well as a numerical score for their performance several times a year. We look at student survey data, which some research indicates that a well-constructed survey actually tells you more about a teacher's efficacy than, than, than almost anything else. While we're collecting that, we also collect that same data for a control group of all the non spezato rookie teachers working in our partner schools. And so what we're saying is there's an algorithm where 40% of the scores outside evaluations, 40% is scores assigned by supervising principals. 20% of student survey data. You put all those data points in, it spits out a score. The average score received by a spizzato trained rookie teacher should be better than that of the average rookie teacher who has not received spizzato training, which is actually an unusual not- notion in teacher preparation. As far as we know, we're the only graduate school in America that requires somebody to d- actually demonstrate effectiveness in order to receive the degree or that takes such an empirical approach to assessing is, is the training working? And in most cases, when people have tried to objectively study, is the teacher's training actually promoting better outcomes for students? The data is totally inconclusive.
0: You mean in, in sort of more traditional, like educator, like an education degree type program?
1: Right. What's the impact of the degree I've gotten from college X, Or what's the impact of this district induction program I've gone through? Or what's the effect of this specific professional development opportunity I've gone through? And usually when people have tried to objectively study, what are the graduate, what are the teacher prep programs? What are the district induction programs? What are the professional developments that actually promote better results for um, children? Almost nothing does.
0: It's so interesting. So there's, you have you've created something unique and special.
1: <laughs> Thank you. We'll yeah.
0: Is, is there any hope of extending it beyond Sposado?
1: Yeah, I do. I do think that, um, some of the core things we do at Sposato have got some momentum in terms of how people, um, think about teacher preparation, both in traditional as well as in alternative programs. And I suppose we should probably move over and I should, talk to you a little bit about how we how, how we think about influencing a um a young teacher to be yes better I've
0: gone down a different path here <laughs> my
1: fault my fault but um but yeah i i think that there are ways that we've seen ideas that we've kind of tried to pilot in Spazzato get um get picked up elsewhere and there's a different division of the organization that we work with that disseminates some of the best stuff we've learned over the years about how to train and evaluate teachers and that's taking off i have to plug it it's called match export um, and they have both open source free material on um, coaching and evaluating teachers as well as some subscription services that have have gotten a lot of attention and um, have gotten some popularity um, in districts as well as in more traditional teacher preparation programs
0: that's great very cool Um so yeah let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the work that you do specifically at Spasado to develop teachers and and help influence them positively.
1: Mm-hmm. Great so I guess I'd say our um our approach to this has been that we're we're really building behaviors and skills in our teachers. so I think in a lot of traditional programs. The philosophy is what we need to do is we need to first of all change mindsets, and if you change mindsets, people will will assume the actions of effective teachers, and I think we're taking not necessarily the opposite approach, but uh, but our lead is starting with um, their behaviors, and so our approach at Spizzato is um, is something akin to the coaching somebody might receive if they were on an athletic team or the feedback they would receive if they were learning a musical instrument. And so what we're trying to do is teach in very granular bite-sized pieces the behaviors of effective teachers. So a, a young teacher might understand that they need to project a certain kind of authority in the classroom, but what we're doing is we're actually coaching them on how they use their voice and their eyes to communicate authority, how they circulate around the room to communicate authority, how they speak, how they issue directions. Often that very granular, very specific stuff is what makes the the difference. And so um, we're telling them exactly what they need to do, and we've developed a coaching model that identifies kind of one step at a time What is the next most important piece? So, I think that step by step, very kind of behavior driven approach is important to us. Um, I think we've also tried to have an open, transparent conversation about what might be the emotional roadblocks in adopting certain behaviors. And so, talking to our folks candidly about while well, even if they know that they're supposed to project authority, why they might be like uncomfortable w- with that. While they know that their coach knows what's best for them, why it might be hard to process the coaching sometimes. And so I think we're trying to create sort of an emotionally safe space in which coaching and improvement can happen. We've tried to build a very sort of growth mindset oriented space and then to um, to be very direct.
0: So. How do you get people to lower their defenses to receive feedback around this incredibly sort of personal activity? Yeah. Uh, having spent really just one year teaching, I got to teach at a charter school, really an opportunity through you. Um, you know, I received some feedback and like all first year's teachers, I was probably pretty terrible, but I, it, any feedback that I received I was appreciated, but it also yeah. just so sort of painful.
1: Yeah. The key is it's it's the first thing we talk about. And so before anybody does any student teaching, or they even do simulations, we have a spazato orientation. We talk about the emotional hang-up somebody might have on processing feedback. And we acknowledge that we all have these. And so in spazato language, we talk about these f- what we call the four horsemen of fixed mindsets. So the four processes that somebody might go through in responding to feedback. Um, One of which is the horseman is you're wrong, I rule, which is I hear your feedback, but actually you're wrong because I am already really good at teaching or at least that particular piece of feedback doesn't apply to me because I'm above it. The second horseman would be uh, "You're right, I suck," which is "You're right, I'm a bad human being," which is just a, which is a different way to deflect the feedback or to fail to act on it. The third is we call the the optimist without a cause, which is you know I hear what you're saying, but I think it's going to get better tomorrow. And the fourth is the the blame it on the rain, which is I hear your feedback. But I don't think it was really about my choices. It was the fact that kids were sleepy because lunch had just ended. The fire alarm was beeping in the hallway. So these are all, we all have these tendencies to some degree. We put them out there at the beginning of Spazada training. We asked people to do some reflection on their own processes in response to feedback. And I think having a friendly and open conversation on it from the beginning makes it less scary and makes it safer and so I think that that's a big part of it. And then very quickly, once we've had that, to just establish an institutional norm where feedback happens all the time from the very beginning. And one, once we've had the conversation, we do very little asking for, asking for permission. I think when, when people are doing the permission dance for feedback, that gives it an emotional charge as well. And I think, again, I'd sort of come back to the, the, the coaching analogy if you've played on an athletic team, you probably had a coach who gave you very direct, very specific feedback on what you're doing wrong, and if it was a if you had a healthy relationship with that coach, that wasn't processed as an indictment of you as a human being. It was just data. It was information you could use to get better at this thing that you both wanted you to get better at. And I think if you can establish healthy habits early on around that kind of stuff, it's a lot easier than if you're trying to recalibrate once somebody has internalized not such good habits about it. Or once an organ or if an organization has gotten not great norms around it.
0: I-, I couldn't agree more and I love this idea of spending time up front because giving direct feedback and, and having that be heard and received requires very high levels of trust. Um uh, mm-hmm. both in both directions so so you share these four horsemen uh with your students and then do you ask them to label themselves or how do they start using that language
1: we do we we ask them to label themselves we also label ourselves so i uh-huh. think having the faculty say hey uh, make, make themselves vulnerable as well and saying we, we've all got this stuff
0: what what are you <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm a i'm a you're right i suck i've got a naturally guilty uh way of processing n- yep. negative information so that's i think that's me mostly uh-huh. maybe sometimes i'm an optimist without a cause sort of my my possum instinct i like to just put my head down and wait for things to improve um which is but yeah. not always a bad thing but <laughs> not always not always um <laughs> And then I th- and then and then we keep them live. We try to introduce the language. So a coach might, in a friendly way, say in a coaching interaction, "Hey, I'm getting a little bit of your wrong eye rule here." We might invite them, you know, in in the monthly advisor check-ins. How, how's it going? Like how how are you processing the information you're getting? So just I think having an open and candid conversation about that stuff is really helpful.
0: Oh, I I totally agree. I I love this whole idea. Um, is there one of these that tends to be hardest? I mean, and I recognize that we all veer towards one of these at a certain time, but is there one of the horsemen that's that's hardest to address?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd say there's one that's hardest. Um, you know, I think the blaming it on the rain, um, there is often rain in the environments we're working in. And yeah. you know, in some student teaching situations, et cetera. There's there's more rain than in others. And so if somebody has is has got a a colleague, for example, who is legitimately difficult to work with and everybody agrees they're difficult to work with, that's a little bit tougher from a teacher prep point of view. Um, you know, if there's sort of dysfunction in the school somebody's working in, it, it doesn't mean we can't still provide feedback that pushes the person forward, but I think as as teacher coaches Sometimes we do need to acknowledge the rain and say, yes, those problems are real. Those do, your job might be harder than, than the other Sposato trainee who's not dealing with this stuff. And we're going to continue taking a growth mindset approach to your work.
0: So are they actually practicing in real classrooms or how are they with real students or how, how does it work?
1: There's different chunks of the year. So in the first part of the year, we actually do a lot of simulated teaching. So for the first third, their first practicum experience, which runs really from September through December, is this thing we call group of six practice. Um, In a group of six, if you and I were Spisato trainees, you and I and four other Spisato trainees would be in a group. We'd get together every single Saturday from 8 to 5 throughout the fall. We would each have prepared – lessons to teach. And then I would get up first and I would teach my lesson for six minutes and you and the other Spisato trainees in the room would play the part of middle school students with all the associated misunderstandings, misbehaviors, et cetera. And I try to address it. And at the end of the six minutes, a coach who's in the back of the room would call timeout and would give me a very specific piece of feedback on my teaching. Mm -hmm. Scott, You're not, you're developing blind spots. I want you to work on the way you're scanning with your eyes. Then later that Saturday, I'd do the exact same thing again. I'd work on that piece of feedback. I'd try to implement it. Either I would do a better job with my eyes. The coach would say, good job, Scott. You fixed the problem with your eyes. Here's your new big takeaway. Or I wouldn't. We'd process that and I'd spend another round processing that same big takeaway. So in a typical Saturday, I'd go through three or four rounds. I think that this is also how um we create a little a certain kind of culture around feedback because all the other spzauter trainees in that room are seeing me struggle they're seeing me get that feedback and then they're going to do that same thing right after i do and so um so there's a lot of growth that happens in that that simulated teaching so that's entirely simulated there's no students involved for the first part of the year in january spzauter trainees move into sp- student teaching with real children. That happens twice a week, starting with little 10 or 15 minute student teaching opportunities, building up to full class periods. Each of those full class periods of student teaching has a, is accompanied by a similarly granular coaching session, um, giving them something very specific to work on. And then we have a last chunk of student teaching that happens in the summer where our people uh, teach basically full-time every day of the week in summer schools that we that we run
0: amazing so so many opportunities here so you talked a little bit about the criteria for the assessments so that you know that this work is making a difference that they are better prepared is there softer criteria that you also know just based on your experience or uh other elements that allow you to know that this this model really works?
1: Well, you know, during the, the, the training year, we're obviously looking at their progress in these practicum experiences. So how are they doing in their simulated teaching or how are they doing in their real teaching? And we sort of evaluate that and we score that in various ways. They take courses with Spisato and so, you know, their grades in those courses matter. Um, but we also track... Something we call community contributions, which is maybe another way to describe professionalism. So, organization, timeliness, are they dropping balls? These kinds of things actually make a huge difference in in schools and in any any kind of organization, and it's, it might be part of what somebody is getting coached on by their spizzato advisor. So, you know, I might teach the most amazing lessons in the world. But if I'm completely non-responsive over email, or if I show up late to work, that's going to create other huge problems for the organization. And so we track that and we coach on that. The other thing that we keep track of is something we call feedback implementation, which interestingly seems to be one of the better predictors of somebody's long-term success in teaching. And, And essentially what that is, is somebody's ability to rapidly internalize a piece of coaching. And so I use the example of group of six practice. So in that example, if the coach is saying, I want you to work on the way you scan with your eyes, we found that the, the speed with which somebody internalizes that big takeaway, and incorporates it in their teaching and is ready to move on to the next thing, maybe not surprisingly says a lot about how they're going to grow. We assign a score for that. And one of the interesting pieces is that in in our data, Feedback implementation scores are more important over the long term than objective evaluations of somebody's teaching. In other words, the person who looks best at teaching in January when they start teaching real kids might not be the best teacher 12 months from then. Whereas if, if somebody is amazing at teaching when they start with real kids but they're not coachable, that person gets surpassed every time by the person who stinks at teaching on day one but is extremely coachable that 12, 12 to 18 months down the line, that person who had bad instincts, but was responsive to coaching is going to turn into a much better teacher in the long term.
0: So how do you increase somebody's coachability?
1: Yeah. You know, I think part of it is addressing is the horseman and having an open conversation about that. Um, There is a piece of it, which is hard to pin down because I think it's, I think the coachability is both, um, there's an emotional piece, but there's also an intellectual piece. And so, um, you know, even if somebody is emotionally totally hungry for the feedback, their ability to incorporate the feedback in their teaching is hard. So if Scott is struggling to scan with his eyes, part of the problem is his brain is already working really hard just to get through his lesson. And so he might hear the coach say, got a coach, I'll do a better job. But then his next, Chance it just kind of struggles to do it, and so you know I think that the 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 work on the coach as well as on Scott is to get the pieces of feedback appropriately bite sized to identify the kind of intellectual obstacles as well as the emotional obstacles and and to and to find ways to to work around them.
0: I totally agree with that, and I it, it's also sort of a surprising answer, right? It's not about helping that person see why it's so important. It's actually about looking at the broader picture and what are the challenges that this, the additional challenges that this person's facing that might not have anything connected to their coachability, right?
1: (laughs) And, 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 you know, while I'm talking about sort of the importance of the trainees taking a growth mindset, that doesn't mean that there isn't an appropriate space for self-advocacy. So the trainee might be assigned a big takeaway by their coach and somebody who's coming to the table with a total growth mindset might still say, I don't understand exactly what you're saying. Could you give me an example of that? Or I feel like I am doing that. Can you show me what I'm doing instead of what I think I'm doing? And so there is a give and take. I think there is a back and forth between the coach and the trainee to ensure that the coaching is sticky, to ensure that it's that it's working.
0: But that's a very powerful question to be able to ask. Like, can you show me what I'm not seeing? You have to build a culture of feedback, of trust, of just even letting them know that those are the types of questions you can ask.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's also an important, um, that's, that, that is, that's an important piece of what happens early on. I, I think it also underscores, you know, in our work, um, consistently what we're pushing our coaches to do, what our best coaches do is they model a lot. So they will, the best coaches will, without being asked, will say, Scott, here's what I see you doing. And we'll get up and do it and say, here's what I need you to do instead. And then we'll show the model of what it should look like. I just think sort of a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, Seeing the behavior is important. You know, again, I don't think totally dissimilar from a coach telling you, you need to bend your knees more when you're taking a basketball shot, you know, or you need to breathe differently when you're trying to swim faster. You know, so I think it's, it's a similar kind of like very concrete demonstration of what's, what's happening and what needs to happen.
0: So cool. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but it's hard to have this conversation at this moment in time without addressing coronavirus. So I, I guess just I'm curious to know from your perspective, how is coronavirus impacting the work that that you're doing at Spasado, And, you know, what do you foresee in terms of how this might impact teachers as, as a whole?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, in in Spizzado world, I think that the the challenges it presents to us really pale in comparison to the challenges it presents in the the schools we work with and so as as important as the work to train teachers is teaching children, especially teaching who don't have a lot of resources, under the best of circumstances, that is so important and and can be really challenging and um, I, I think my whole team and the people we work with are Kind of f- freaking out at the notion that kids who already have the, the, the playing field tilted against them are going to yeah. get left farther behind. And there's been some really heroic work in the schools we partner with trying to quickly assemble meaningful um, online virtual experiences so that kids continue to have um, equitable access to rigorous curriculum and instruction. That's that. That's the first piece, and I still think we're figuring that out. But people are really trying to ensure that we're continuing to do um, good work for the children and families that we work with. Not to mention that pe- just people's basic needs, food, etc., are being are being addressed. For Spizzato, um, it's a challenge for sure. Um, we've had to we our coursework tends to be in person. We've had to move that virtually, so we've lost some ability to provide meaningful feedback, which, which is really important to us. Um, We've, our, our folks are not um, student teaching now, which is kind of the single most important way that they get better at teaching and prepare to be highly effective. I I think they're still going to, they've still gotten a lot of coaching and a lot of training in their, in the opening months of the school year. We, we officially endorsed all of our cohort for to go on the job market on March 7th, so about a week before schools all shut down and we still stand behind them. We think they're going to do great work for kids, but sure would like to find more ways to um, coach and support them in their, their training year um, before they go into lead teaching jobs, which they're going to do this fall at, at some point. Um, so just want to make sure we're doing everything we can to to move things forward in that respect.
0: well, i I think you're doing all the right things, and also just being adaptable is seems the key here because it's things are changing moment to moment.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Sarah. Really appreciate the attention and and the great questions, and it was uh, it was great to talk with you.
0: Well, thanks, Scott. And uh, we'll have to continue the conversation in a few months and see what's happened and what you're up to. And uh, I really appreciate all of your thoughts.
1: Sounds good. Stay safe.
0: Thanks. Thanks.